Welcome to Arm Brand with Donnie Deutsch. Uh, this is the podcast dedicated to a simple premise that everybody and everything today is a brand. Every personality, every every athlete, every celebrity, every corporation, every product, everything is a brand today. And we do two things on the show. Uh, we do our Brands of the Week, where we decide which brands are up, which brands are down, what, who's driving the zeitgeist. And we do a big interview with our own with a personal brand about their own personal brand. And today's interview is with Stephanie Grisham. Uh, she's former press secretary and communications director for the Trump White House. We don't usually get a lot of Trump guests or ex-Trumpers on the show. We've had Michael Cohn. I think this is our second one. But we're going to talk to Stephanie uh, about uh, her years in the Trump White House. She's got a, a book that's now out in paperback. that has been a bestseller. Uh, so let's get to our interview with Stephanie Grisham. I'm really excited about today's guest, Stephanie Grisham. Uh, her book, which is out in paperback, is I'll Take Your Questions Now, what I saw at the Trump White House. We don't usually have a lot of... Trumpers or ex-Trumpers on this, which I'm excited to do, other than my friend Michael Cohn. So we've got someone who started on the other side of the aisle and and uh, seems to have has this new perspective now. Uh, it's all the book is all about her time in the White House as communications director, as press secretary, working for both the president and Melania. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, excited and nervous. Don't be nervous. Don't be, you know, what thing, <laughs> what's interesting is, is and I, obviously, as you know, as communications director, I was obviously one of the outsp- outspoken people against Trump, but I've always approached people who voted for Trump. I never was like, what's wrong with you? What are, I always start with, I get where you were coming from. I get why Hillary was an unlikable candidate. I get why we needed to chat. I guess why you took a flight. I try and disarm as opposed to what's wrong with you. And I think that's the problem. That's the problem in this country now. And and that on both both sides, you know. No, for sure. I was just going to say that. I I wish more people would come at things like that and try to understand rather than just completely indict, you know. Yeah. The people I indict are the people that went for round two. You know, I get why people took a flyer and I get why, okay, maybe he's just saying things together. <laughs> but after watching four years, you know, and then and then also post-insurrection, when people put their thumbs up still, that's where I scratch my head. And that's where I kind of, I don't come at it as open arm, if you will. I've got a theory there, but I, I understand completely what you are saying. What's the theory? So what, what, as somebody, look, you have such an interesting perspective. And, and so what is the, I always, I always kind of, everybody's on the show, whether they're political or not political, I, with, somehow we drift to politics at some point. And I always say, explain it to me. Explain, I, I get round one, the Trump phenomenon. Give me round two. Who people, so is, is it, it I, I want to hear from somebody from inside the circle, your analysis of that. So it's, um, first of all, you get into that bubble and it's, it's definitely a bunker mentality, right? It's very, well, it's a few things. Number one, you're trying to outlast everyone else. It's like a survivor. Hunger games. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Hunger games is much better actually. Um, and then number two, you get this, like you get two things. You get very, you feel very powerful in there because he is so like, fuck everyone. And, oh, is cursing cool? Cursing is, is required. Yes. Okay. Oh, perfect. Okay. okay then right. you've got the right guest. Okay. Right. Um, so he, he he's very much like, don't worry about it. And and you watch him. He's had no consequences yet. And so it, when, when you're with him, you feel powerful and like there are no consequences to anything yeah. you do. And then I think finally from a, you know, selfish, you could call it, or just livelihood standpoint, once you get in there, trying to get out 
is scary. People aren't welcoming to you. People, it's not like people are diving to give you jobs. And so there are people who need to, to have a livelihood. Yeah. And when it, it looks scary out there and you watch other people leaving and maybe they're not being uh, received with open arms, why, why bunk- leave that? Why leave, I'm, in, I'm in the bunker. Yeah. I mean, it's a bunker mentality. Yeah. So you, you fought you January 6th, you kind of said, no mas, you, you, you had enough. That was kind of the breaking point for you during the other moments clearly moments had to be of reflection you know whether it was uh i know charlottesville was before your run but you know the various uh missteps if you will uh that that anybody with any with anybody with kind of any moral compass you go well what what you know what was the negotiate the internal negotiation you did i had this conversation with gary Cohn, and gary Cohn's explanation was well Better me than the other guy in here. I'm going to try and keep some level of decorum or whatever it is. What? Talk to me about that. Well, so I, I was there for even Excess Hollywood. Yes, yes. that's right. I you, mean, you, I was you, on you, the campaign. You, that's right. Oh, that's right. Okay, so you, start, were, you started in 2015 or 2016, right? Okay, yeah, right, right. yeah. So, um, you know, it, you it's it's a few things. Number one, you make excuses for him. Like yeah. uh, Access Hollywood, I remember um, thinking – you know, oh, oh shit, that's terrible. But also I was like, well, guys are disgusting. That's locker room talk. I, yeah. you know, I, that was me Every, talking yeah. myself. Yes. The party line, you know, that guy, boys yeah. will be boys and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And he, you know, at that point I had gotten to know him, you know, ever nobody believes me that I didn't really know his New York life mm-hmm. or I really didn't. All I knew about Donald Trump was really the apprentice. But so by that time I'd gotten to know him and he was such a bullshitter, especially about women and you know all the gorgeous women he got. So for me I was like it's just him yeah. trying to be a badass again in the most untasteful disgusting way. Um Charlottesville, I worked for Mrs. Trump at that point and I remember when he said it I was like my gosh. But she, I got her to put something out. She was the first person in our entire administration to condemn what happened in Charlottesville. So at that point, I was like, I'm on the good side. I'm on the East Wing side. Um, I, I've got this woman who will kind of come out against some of the things her husband or the West Wing's doing. So I felt good. And I felt good that we were the first to put something out. And we kind of made an example of, of I don't know, them. Um so a lot of it was because I I was with Melania a lot of times when he did things. And then, you know, when I got the job offer to be press secretary and director of comms, I the deal was I wouldn't do press briefings and I would still work for his wife. And I stupidly, naively thought I would be different because I would have that direct line to his wife and I would be able to, you know, take down some of his crazier ideas. What do you think of Melania? Oh gosh! I, it's a, I know that that's a very so, loaded, open, and obviously it's a big part of the book. But I just wanted to phrase the question that way. Yeah, I, um, you know, I liked her a lot. I felt very, very close to her. I think she's an exceptional mother. I will always give her that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna jump in. I, my kids, our kids went to this. Our kids went to the same school, and she was there every day. This is before she, before he got elected. Uh, he, she was there every day to pick up her kid. Yeah. And, you know, no fanfare, no this. So yeah, I saw that up close. She yeah, she's an exceptional mom, um, and they've got a great relationship. And she's a great daughter. You know, I I, met, I knew her parents very well, and she's a very good daughter. Um, and she had a she has a kind of fuck you attitude to a lot of things that I really admired. You know, I, I she did things her own way, and I loved that, like not moving down right away, and just I, I do like that about her. She's spunky. Um, 
I was actually really, really kind to her in my book. She obviously would not agree with that. But um, there's a lot of stuff I could have talked about that I didn't because I still have a bit of a level of respect for her. But um, I, I got to learn that she's a lot like him. And I got to learn how transactional she is with uh, human capital, with people. Yeah. And um, at the end, that's what, you know, I had been trying to, to resign a few times from for other reasons. Um, so at the end, I, that's where I kind of soured on her. You know, it was interesting in the book, you talk about the transactional nature and how people were so disposable and whatnot. That was a lot. The Clintons were were very much accused of the same thing. I mean, obviously Clinton and Trump different in many, many ways, and there are a few unfortunate similarities. But that kind of human collateral disposability really followed the Clintons also. Yeah, and with the Trumps, um, that's where, you know, at the beginning I kind of talked about the the Hunger Games nature of it. You Because everybody knew they were disposable. You all knew it, but you got this the longer you lasted, your ego grew. And yeah. it's so sick. Like stepping back, it's so sick to look at now that I've kind of deprogrammed myself. But when you're in it, you know, you're just trying to survive. And um, and the transactional way of thinking, I started to think that way. Yeah. You know, I I am truly sickened by a lot of the way I thought and a lot of the the things I did um, when I was in there. You sound like, and I've, as you know, I'm very good friends with Michael Cohen, and he uses the word cult a lot. You sound like an ex, yep. ex cult member. I, I mean, as yeah. somebody who was in Scientology, or I, I'm not knocking Scientology, but who was now looks back and goes, "What the fuck was I doing?" You know. Yeah, you know, it's funny. In the beginning, when um, I was writing the book, and when the book was released. I wanted to compare it to a cult. And then I was like thinking, you know, my PR mind was thinking, is that going to be insensitive? Because like with cults, people literally drink Kool-Aid and die yeah. or, you know, people, you know. And so I, I tried to stay away from that. But it's true. I mean, the the way you thought in there is is a way I do not think now. And the way I behaved in there, some of the ways I behaved in there, I, w- I wouldn't do in a million years. I was paranoid in there. I was closed off. I kept things from people. Um, I pretty much alienated from my family and friends. Those are all cult attributes. Yeah. Yeah. Out of all the folks in the book, the people you're probably harshest and deserving. So I could, they make my stomach turn as Jared and Ivanka. You call them the interns. Yes. And that, that Jared was untouchable and that, uh, Give me now your reflective take, and I'm asking very open-ended questions on purpose, of, because there are so many details in the book of Jared and Ivanka. Give me your perspective that somebody might, beyond what we know, what we see, what we feel, as somebody who is there every day, what do and don't we understand there? Um, you know, again, I will say I, I learned along the way how transactional they are, and not just transactional, they are so uh, focused on their image. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they would show up at all the right events sure. and they would bring their children to all the right events. And I'm not knocking their parenting. I think that they're actually a very close family. So mm-hmm. I do want to say that. But um, in the beginning, when I met them, they were it's just like Trump. They were so humble and kind and made you feel like, you know, you had been around them for years and you were immediately in the circle. And here are these like Glamazon millionaires that I had never been around. And again, I had to just seen her on uh, The Apprentice. And um, I spent some time with them, just them in Iowa. 
And we kind of bonded over not knowing what the hell a caucus was and how what to do. We were Googling what we were supposed to be doing at this caucus. So um, I really, really liked them in the beginning. And they made you feel like they would always look out for you. And when you have the children on your side, then you're really untouchable, right? Yeah. Um, and then as, as we went along, I learned that Ivanka is about her image. Everything sure. was about image and doing things to look good. And he became... I believe very heady with power too. Yeah. And he dove into every damn policy issue you can imagine, whether it was immigration or China, or, you know, obviously he did do well with um, Israeli relations, but, and he jumped into every meeting and he was so arrogant and he too was transactional. And if you dared to disagree with him, all bets were off. And suddenly, you know, things were happening to you. People were talking about you. There would be some leaks about how yeah. to, that's what happened to me. Sure. Um, so he, he's one of the most kind of sinister people I encountered in that, in that white house. I, I love that you use that word because for some reason, out of all the cast of characters, that guy made my skin crawl more than any, there was something, a smugness, a, uh, so that, smug. You just, it, yes. you just want to punch him in the face. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not promoting violence. I have to say that he just, he was that kid that if he was, if I was in school with him, I would just want to deck him. There's more than any other critter that, that roamed that white house. Yeah. There were a couple of times I would think to myself, like, I wish I could go into his office and just sit down like on a friend to friend level and be like, you are so arrogant. You should yeah. like, Try to tell him, like, you need to take it down. But, I mean, of course, I would never do that. But he was so arrogant, and he was in the middle of everybody's business, and he knew he couldn't be touched. And that was, you know, that was the worst part. But also, shit, I felt that way, too, a little bit, because yeah. I had Melania on my side. So I can't completely throw stones. So you're doing your job and you're, you're press secretary for Trump, which has got to be one of the most insane, absurd jobs in the history of jobs. And something happens. I remember I, <laughs> he, I remember he tweeted about me a few times, which I found like, which ridiculous. Like I, I'm doing this little Saturday night show on MSNBC. And then the next morning he's tweeting with a little Donnie Deutsch and this and that. And even Biden came up and said, why is he going with Donnie Deutsch? And it, it so trivializes him. Can you... Were you ever able to say to him after the fact, don't do that? Or it was just like this All is the what, time. There's, oh, you did. Or was it just let's, as, as Rance previously would say, let's let Donald be Donald. I mean, was that, or would you kind of be constantly running damage control? Yes, <laughs> to all of that. So yes. there would be times he would want to tweet out something about someone and he would ask our opinion. And um, sadly, it would be whoever the hell was in the room, right? Yeah, so, right, sure. It could be it could be like his press secretary who is supposed to kind of handle his communications. And then we could have had like the guy dropping off the water in the sure. office yeah. and he'd ask us both. And yeah. then if the water guy said, yeah, tweet it, he'd tweet it because yeah. he'd want yeah. to hear that. Yeah. But um, I all the time I would say you're giving this person you're elevating them. You're sure. giving them too much attention. I mean, I used to try to craft my responses to him around his ego. Yeah. Because that was the only way you could get him to sometimes listen. Um, and you know, he would listen and then an hour later I'd be in my office and the tweet would go out. Like, so towards, as, as time went on, I would tell him what I thought knowing it was going to go out anyway. And then the, you know, the ones about you, I'll tell you, 
anything on CNN or MSNBC, those came from Melania. She watched those religiously. Right. And I guarantee you that she would say in the morning what you said. Yeah. And then he would tweet it out. That's great. Because um, he would get so mad at her for watching CNN and MSNBC. <laughs> he only watched Fox. Um, he would always be like, why do you watch that crap? They're terrible. So, you know, and, and he didn't sleep. And, you know, when he got up to that residence every night, it was like, what what am I going to wake up to? Yeah. And everyone in the White House felt that way. I don't care who you are. Everyone thought, what are we going to wake up to? Speaking of, of him sleeping, it's never been talked about. Did they ever sleep in the same room or was that a given that they slept separately? Yeah, always separately. Um, I didn't blame her. Like, I would love if I ever got married again. I think I'd like two separate rooms and bathrooms. Like, I don't know. I don't think it's a big deal. But everywhere we traveled, they had their own rooms. Um, and also, you have to remember, he was on the phone all the time. Yeah. He was the loudest individual. I would be in the residence and he would be in his room on the phone and I could hear the conversation perfectly. Um, his He has his TV up like so loud. He And he never sleeps and she likes to sleep. So I think that I think it was pretty reasonable, frankly. Yeah. But yeah. no, I never saw them. She would go in his room a lot and like sit on his bed and talk to him. Yeah. Uh, but they did have separate spaces. I, I get asked this all the time, and I was one of the people who was considered a friend of Trump in the old days. Now, a friend of Trump is purely transactional. He has no real friends. It's somebody, in, in my case, I did The Apprentice for three seasons. He did my CNBC show five times. Our kids went to the same school, the charities. You know, that, that's the definition of friendship to him. Yeah. And people always ask me to this day, did you know? Did you see? Did you know? And I would always say the same thing. And most people describe him. Mean, Howard Stern is described the same way. Is you thought he was in on the joke. You knew he was a snake oil salesman. You knew he was full of shit. You knew he was a, 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 this ridiculous character that you didn't want to do business with. You didn't want to be in a fox with. But you never saw the hate, the dark. And my question to you is, at the end of the day, was he a transactional hater, for instance, he started the thing with, you know, whether it was lock her up or whether it was, you know, don't let the Muslims in or, or any of his greatest hits or the Mexicans. And then it got a great response. So he went with it. Or was that really what's inside of him? And that's kind of the always the million dollar question. And I don't know which is worse, frankly, but is he a transactional hater, evildoer, or is that just who he is? I mean, I don't know that I know the answer. I think my gut would say he's... It's who he is. And when he verbalized it a couple of times, he got such a great response, as you just said, from his base. I think that probably shocked him too. And if you think about it, the things he has gotten away with over and over and over again, I think it has turned into a transactional hater. Because again, like, why not? There's no consequences. There's been no consequences to anything. You know, going back to Excess Hollywood, he became president of the United States. And then afterwards, you know, he just got so much adulation and his base was just loved, loves him. And, you know, the rally sizes never went down. He never got Kanye. Like, look what's happening to Kanye right now. You know, yeah. I mean, Trump, I would say, has said some of the same stuff, if not worse, not same, but on the same level. And he's never been canceled. So I think it's turned into transactional. I can remember when we went to Puerto Rico uh, they had that horrible hurricane. We had to go there. And that was the time he threw the paper towels. But he wanted to withhold aid to them because of that woman, that mayor. He Because she was so nasty to him. Yeah. Those are his words. She's so nasty to me. I don't want to send any. So that's pretty damn transactional. Those are people in need. But because of this one woman, you know, he didn't want to give uh, fire aid to California. Same reason. It's a blue state. 
So I think it's how he is, but I think he became very transactional because he had a lot of power as president to be transactional. So you're Stephanie, you go home at night after a day's work and let's just pick one incident, one of Trump's atrocities. Let's let's go to Charlottesville. And he does that and he says there are good people on both sides and whatnot. What are you saying to yourself at that point? What do you what's the what's the mental gymnastics? Because I'm sure you're a decent human being. We don't know each other, but I'm just talking to you. And I'm you know, you're a yep. mom, you know, you got a fourteen year old son, you yep. you know, you 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 know. Yep. What so what's the what's and a twenty three year old son. And a twenty three year old son. What's what's the gymnastics that you do? Well, that one's, that one's, you know, like I said earlier, that one for me, I worked for Mrs. Trump and we put out a statement immediately. So my mental gymnastics there was I'm on the right side of the house and I'm on the right side of history because I'm on the right side of the house and we're doing our own thing. Same with the, the kids in cages and the immigration. Now she ruined it with that stupid ass jacket, but her intention was good. And, you know, we went down there with great intentions and, um, and so during those times, I just was like, she's great. She's doing what she thinks is right. And I'm here with her. And we're not, we never check with the West Wing. I mean, we, we bucked them all the time. Um, so that, those, those times, you know, now COVID, um, I, I was press secretary and director of comms. And on the one, I was, and I was working for her. And um, she was doing all these videos and taking it very seriously and I was so proud of her. And I would tell her all the time the stuff that was happening in the West Wing and trying to get her to, you know, engage with with Trump and get him to take it more seriously, which she did. I'll give her credit. Um, those days were hard for me because I would sit and watch, you know, Fauci and Burks and be in these briefings. And I would watch Robert O'Brien and uh, Matt Pottinger wearing masks and telling him how this is terrible and very important. And we've got to take care of this. And him just like kind of dismissing it. So those days were tough because I was like, well, he would dismiss it. Give me a for like, like take me there. So you're in these meetings and the scientists are telling him science, giving him facts, giving mm-hmm. him, this mm-hmm. is, this is what's going to happen. This is how many people are going to die. What is he saying? You're wrong or I don't give a shit or what, what's the, what's the dynamic that happens in that situation? He would say things like, how do we really know that? How do we really know that? Well, I can't go out there and say that. That'll be terrible for the next, the, the election. I can't go out there. We can't have this out there. So his initial instinct was to cover it up. Of course. Um, and then I don't know if you've seen Woodward just put out those recordings where he said he had a plan, you know, to fight COVID, but he wasn't going to release it because it would be forgotten by the time the election came around. That that was his mentality. Bad news can't be out there. Of course not. And his instinct was just to lie to people because they seemed to believe him. Um, so he would question them, and then he would talk about how we just needed to get good news out. There. I hear a dog I snoring. Th- I hear a dog snoring in the background. Oh shoot! That's Sorry. good. No, that's okay. I, 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 you can that's- hear it. I just want to make our viewers know that there's not some sinister thing going on. What kind of dog you got? That's I've got. Uh, that's my French bulldog. Eleanor. I got a Frenchie also. And- Oh, I've got two. I've got two. I Benjamin, got an English who's bulldog. the most perfect. Oh, you've got an English as well? Uh, yeah, yeah. I have six dogs. Oh, I have three. I've got two Frenchies, and then I've got an English bulldog, and he's paralyzed. So Aww. he's sitting in a diaper and suspenders right. over here. But Eleanor <laughs> sounds like an old man. I, sh- I shouldn't laugh. I've no, gone through he's it with wonderful. The, yeah. Don't laugh. He thinks everybody else uh, walks funny. He's yeah. fine. But yeah. anyway, I'm sorry about this morning. I just nudged her. That's right. Um, I, I don't know where we were. I, I want to. Ju- I, I don't know where we were. So I'm just going to shift to probably my favorite anecdote of all, and I don't know why this just tickles me so much. And I want to. 
I want to understand how this was discovered, how the way to soothe Trump was show tunes, was, was memory from cats, that somehow that that would be, that would calm him. How, how was that discovered? <laughs> how did that come about that somebody said, ah, this is what we do for the beast, but this is how we slay him. We play this tune. What? Give me, give me the genesis of that. Oh yeah, I can't. I, and I, it's two. It's a couple of different ways that we found it out. And you know, the Air Force One story I'm going to tell. I fa- I found and still find very endearing about him. I do. Um, so on long flights, international flights, the man never slept. Like we would all, everyone would be asleep, but him and his poor uh, valet who had to keep serving him his damn cokes. But um, he would sometimes just sit in his office and listen to music. And it was always the rally playlist. He was obsessed with his rally playlist. Really? He always, he would, oh yeah, he'd come down from mm. the residence with a new song scribbled on a piece of paper and be like, add that to the playlist. Um, so that was just a thing he would do on Air Force One, which was fun. I remember sitting in the office with him. 3 a.m. probably we were on a flight to uh japan i believe and he made me watch um why can't that i think of his name he wore the capes james brown it's a it's a man's life it's a woman's life james brown is that james brown yeah yeah a man's world that's it it's a man's world um so that he just was always in a good mood and then like i said um sometimes randomly during the day he would just shout that he wanted the person who does the music to come because he wanted to add a song or two. And then that would turn into him wanting to listen to the playlist. And then it would turn into him removing things and adding things and changing up the, the, uh, how, who should play what, when, and he loved it. And so on days that he would rage, people would be like, Hey, sir, do you want to go over your rally playlist really quick? And you know, the guy would come in and put the iPad down and that's what they do. I love it. Is and there, he did love cats. He did love cats. Is there any, I, I, I should ask this because, but we're so well documented on so many heinous things he did. Were there moments where you saw, wow, there's, there's a shred of decency here or there's, there's, were you, were you taken aback with moments of humanity? Yeah. Yes. Um, Give me one. You know, I remember be. I don't even know where we were. Yeah. I, I, we were somewhere in the U S and on the local news, there was a story about a, a kid, you know, nine-year-old kid, 10-year-old kid who was very, very sick or um, I don't remember, very sick or yeah, very sick and the, the family needed help with um, hospital bills. And he he asked, he had them send money. He asked his people, his body man, he was like, make sure he gets, and he sent, you know, a sum of money that was like, I don't know, 10 grand, 20 grand. So he would do things like that, you know, that every now and again, you're like, oh, Wow. You know, right. there, there is a little good shred in him. And I, um, I always really enjoyed those moments. They were fleeting, but they yeah. were there. So what's going to happen now? You're not that you have a crystal ball, but you're somebody that has been inside. You know, you talked earlier, as everybody talks about, he's Teflon, nothing sticks. It seems as if the obstruction of justice on the documents is going to be the thing that gets him. Obviously, you're not a lawyer. You're not inside Merrick Garland's head. But if you were going to predict as far as him running again, him getting elected again, him getting indicted, where do you see this going? And once again, I, this is just from somebody who's been inside. So I'm just curious what you think. I think, so first of all, caveat, I I change my mind every day about if he's going to run or not. I really do. I've said on so many interviews, yes, for sure. And then no, definitely not. So I think today, I think that um, 
he will run because his ego won't allow for anyone else to run yeah. and become head of the Republican Party. But also that would give him some cover with a lot of these legal legal issues. Mm-hmm. So I do think he'll run. Um, I think he would win a primary in a second. Sure. No problem. Yeah. Even against probably DeSantis, yes. who I think would be his, maybe his biggest. Of course. Um, but I don't think he would win in the general. I don't. Even with Biden, who I think has been not great. Um, I think there are, it's just even outside of the office, it's chaos all the time. And I think too many stories have come out for people. I think people would maybe not admit it, but I think people going into that voting booth would not vote for him. Yeah, I I agree with that. He's not electable. I I think just that 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 six or seven or eight percent that's always in play, it just is not in play for him anymore. I think he runs, but doesn't end up being the candidate somehow. I think he, he announces... And then maybe they cut a deal with him, just go away. I, I don't. I can't see him actually being the candidate. The Republicans don't want it. Obviously, his base wants it. There's something to this story that we haven't thought about, but I don't see this as a normal. Well, yeah, but when you say Republicans don't want it, think about the midterms. He's got all these people he's about to get that are probably going to get elected. Yeah, the Doctor Oz's, the Herschel Walkers, yeah. and they're all his like sycophants. Yeah. So why? Yeah, you know, Marjorie. I don't know if uh, Bobert's going to win, but. I, I would disagree. I think that if he sees that he's got a good group that will just kiss his ass and do everything possible that he yeah. wants, I, why wouldn't he run? You know, they're they're taking over the establishment. I, I think it is the establishment now. That is the Republican Party now. I, I think something That's happens that something happens between now and November 24 where he doesn't end up being the candidate whether the indictments are so overwhelming something happens I I, I don't see some I, I don't know I don't know how and why and whatnot but I just uh, I see this time he definitely gets indicted and I think somehow that changed the math a lot of people say well it'll make him a martyr and it'll make him more empathy people you know will get behind him more I don't see it that way I think he'll he'll seem too handicapped there or something but we obviously we're going to see I hope you're right. I really hope you're right. Um, but I think no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic ride. And it's just exhausting. It's just, it's, I'm so tired. So yeah, you're obviously, your life, and you you talked about how in Kansas you kind of walk around and, you know, people are kind to you and whatnot. But what is your, what's the the armor that you use now at this point? Because you're, as you were, you're a recovering cult member. You obviously realize that inside the lies and the and the and what you were who you were defending and what you gave your career to. So what's the what's the catharsis now? What is the how do we if I if we were sitting in a shrink's office and you have your whole you're still a young woman you have your whole life ahead of you and this is something that's this is a blemish I'm going to call it a blemish that's going to stay with you. I yes. don't think history is going to change that forever. So, yeah. So what are we? No, what, no, what, no. What, what's the what's the what what are we? How do we work with that? Um, me personally, it's, you know, my armor is, is this sounds so cliche, but it's just the truth. Right. So, um, you know, people are attacking me saying I am, you know, lie, whatever I lie about him. Well, I have so many things to back it up. Right. My book so far, I don't think there's been any story ever that's been refuted, whatever he and both of them have been kind of quiet on me, which is interesting. I think she deep down knows I was pretty good to her but um and then you know the people you know i've still got everybody in the trump world after me i'm being sued for defamation um they keep trying to shop stories around about me some true some not about behavior in the white house and for me it's just like i'm just an open book now 
you know, I'm, I'm just telling the truth. Like, did I, did I behave poorly in there? Yeah, I did. Um, I, I don't, I'm not trying to recycle my image or anything like that. I'm just telling the truth now and, you know, I'm letting the chips fall where they may and people already hate me on both sides. And so I don't, I don't have much to lose anymore. Yeah. So it's just the truth. And that's been very freeing um, to just tell the truth about a lot of the things that I myself did. Um, Yeah. What's the career? What's the, what's the career track now? Yeah, I don't know. Um, every day I change my mind again. So I'm working on getting a nonprofit animal sanctuary together. That's my, okay. I mean, animals are my passion. So I am working on that. I'm still doing speaking um, out against him because I think that for as much as I feel guilty for my part in things, the best thing I can do for myself in the country is to tell people these stories and talk about it and um, hopefully get to those six, 7% that, you know, we talk about and make a big change and educate people about him and the people who surround him. Um, so, you know, I'm still doing TV. I'm still kind of doing speaking gigs, but I haven't been actively looking at jobs. It's, I mean, very honestly, people aren't jumping out of the woodwork sure, to hire somebody from Trump, No, which is again, why I think more people haven't spoken up. It's, yeah. it's scary. And it's, um, but I'm just kind of living day to day. And whatever happens, happens, right? I hear you. Well, on that note, I appreciate you being here. The The paperback is out. I'll take your questions now, what I saw in the Trump White House. Stephanie, it was nice talking to you. I appreciate your candor, and I hope your doggies are okay. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Have a great day. Hope you enjoyed today's interview with Stephanie Grisham. Uh, very enlightening. Uh, somebody who drank the Kool-Aid and has spit out the Kool-Aid ever since. Uh, remember to tune in for our On Brands, where our Brands of the Week will be dropping on Tuesday. And remember to rate, review anywhere you get podcasts, Spotify, Apple, any place else. We'll see you next week on Our Brand. Brands.